Hello and welcome to The Woman Who. I'm Zowie Ashton, and in this series, I'll be bringing you the remarkable stories of Britain's most inspirational women of the last 140 years. These are the tales of the true pioneers of music, literature, the performing arts and fashion. Women who have defied convention, broken boundaries, and pushed the limits of what's possible. I'll be taking a deep dive into the lives of these trailblazers, reliving their struggles and setbacks, their loves and losses, and how they overcame every obstacle in their path to achieve unimaginable success. These women are the real deal, the true influencers of their day. This is the story of the woman who gave writers a voice. Groundbreaking publisher, broadcaster, and champion of black women authors, Margaret Busby. As a student of English at Bedford College in the 1960s, a teenage Margaret Busby devoured the works of Chaucer, Shakespeare, and the other literary greats. But there wasn't a single writer on the curriculum who looked like her, a black African woman. What she didn't know then was that in a few short years, she would be the person who would revolutionize publishing in Britain, bringing diverse voices into print through her own hugely influential publishing house. Margaret was only 23 years old in 1967, when she became Britain's first black woman publisher. She was also Britain's youngest publisher, and the freedom of youth and experience allowed her to break all the rules of how the industry was supposed to work and who was expected to work within it. The author Zadie Smith summed it up best when she called Margaret a cheerleader, instigator, and celebrator of black arts for the past 50 years shouting about us from the rooftops, even back when few people cared to listen. Margaret was born in 1944 in the Gold Coast, what is now Ghana. Her father, George, was a doctor and her mother a midwife. Both had worked in Britain in the 1920s and 30s, but settled in Ghana to work with the inhabitants of rural villages villages that had no running water or electricity. Margaret's parents were determined to secure the best possible education for their three children and set their sights on sending them to boarding school in England. But it was an uphill struggle to be accepted and they faced discrimination because of their race. Headmasters told them that though they didn't mind admitting black students, the parents of the other pupils might. Finally, Margaret and her siblings were accepted at an international boarding school in Bexhill-on-Sea, where Margaret said she learned to count in Farsi, swear in Mandarin, and sing in Spanish. Her parents saved everything they had to pay for their children's education abroad, Margaret's mother allowed herself only one dress, 
which she would wear each day and wash each night. She once wrote to Margaret, asking her how tall she had grown. Since they couldn't afford to bring their children home for the holidays, they often endured long gaps without seeing them. But Margaret was thriving. When she first arrived in England, she was the youngest in the school, but she held her own, tiny but bright and full of charisma. And from the moment she could read, she nurtured a love for the written word. This eventually led her to secure a place studying English at Bedford College, part of the University of London, where she was the only black student and had trouble finding lodgings that would accept her. But as her parents had hoped, her education would set her on a path to greatness. One day while still an undergraduate, Margaret was invited to a party where she was introduced to a young man named Clive Allison. Like her, Clive loved poetry and edited his university's literary magazine. The two had an instant connection, not a romantic one, but a perfect alignment of professional passions. By the end of the night, the two had come up with an ambitious plan. After they graduated, they would come together and form a publishing house of their own. True to their word, in 1967, Alison and Busby was born. The 23-year-old Margaret would be its editorial director for the next 20 years. Their first project was to publish three books of poetry. They wanted them to be affordable to young people such as themselves and set the price at five shillings apiece. But with no plans for distribution in bookshops, they sold the copies on the streets and by knocking on strangers' doors. They also didn't have a real office. Instead, they set up shop in a friend's apartment in Soho. As it wasn't meant to be used as a place of business, whenever the landlord came by, the young publishers would pretend they were having a tea party. What they lacked in experience and financial security in those years, they made up for in enthusiasm. They sought out new writers in pubs and at parties, giving those who had been overlooked or rejected by the traditional, almost entirely white world of publishing an opportunity to see their work in print. Alison and Busby had their first big success with a thriller that had been rejected by 40 other publishers, The Spook Who Sat By The Door. Written by an American veteran, Sam Greenlee, the novel told the story of a black CIA employee turned freedom fighter. Sensing it would be a hit, Margaret threw herself into editing the novel full-time. In 1969, she sent a copy to The Observer to run an extract. They wrote back with a snooty letter, saying that she should know they didn't publish fiction and certainly not a black power book. But a determined Margaret sent it right back to the paper, insisting they were wrong. The paper saw that she wasn't going to back down and decided to publish an extract after all. The spook who sat by the door ended up becoming the Sunday Times Book of the Year in 1969. It was also turned into a film in 1973, 
which so outraged the FBI that they worked to shut down its distribution. It was the kind of book that would never have found a home if it weren't for Margaret Busby. Following their success, Allison and Busby continued to build their eclectic list of authors. They published the historian C.L.R. James, Hunter S. Thompson, the beat poet Michael Horowitz, and Jill Murphy, author of the wildly popular Worst Witch series for children. Once they even published a book to be read in the bath, printed on waterproof paper. As somebody once said to Margaret, you never knew what Alison and Busby was going to do next, but we knew it was going to be interesting. But not everyone was willing to accept that a black woman could be a publisher. When Margaret later reflected on that time, she said the press treated her as a kind of freak. Everybody from the window cleaner to the bank manager assumed that her business partner, a white man, must be the boss and that she was only there to make the tea. But Margaret never lost focus on her singular goal, to publish people because they were important to us or we felt they were going to be important to anybody else. After a larger publisher bought Allison and Busby in 1987, Margaret embarked on a new project. In 1992, she published Daughters of Africa, an anthology of writing by over 200 black women from ancient Egypt to the present day. Margaret wanted to draw attention not only to the likes of Toni Morrison, Alice Walker and Maya Angelou, but also to lesser known writers. In this way, she launched their careers and also inspired the next generation of black women writers, some of whom contributed to her 2019 follow-up, New Daughters of Africa. Now in her late 70s, Margaret continues her work to empower the next generation of black writers and publishers as a mentor, editor, and judge for Britain's most prestigious literary awards. She believes that to truly change the industry, black women must not only become writers, but must also work as editors, marketers, reviewers, and publishers. As she told The Guardian, until you can no longer count the number of African women writers who have broken through, then we've still got work to do. The Woman Who podcast series has been brought to you by Fennec, the UK's department store of distinction since 1882. Tune in each week to uncover the story of a new inspirational woman and head to fennec.co.uk for more info and celebrations on their 140th anniversary of empowering women through the circus of life. The Woman Who is a Radio Wolfgang production written by Hannah Jewell and read by me, Zowie Ashton. 
The producer is Kieran Carruthers, sound design is by Tony Onachuku, and the executive producer is Ellie DiMartino. Martino.